Oh, those are the smart controls, are they? Okay. Well, they're not that smart. I can't find the recording levels on this. Probably the best bit of the bloody podcast. <laughs> Brian must think we're such idiots, man. Um, we're? What episode's this? Tokyo Deep Cuts Part 4, episode number 30. Okay. Shout out to the great Steph Curry, number 30. Yep. Okay. Means nothing. <laughs> I'm so tired oh. this week. Hold that thought, man, because I'm, I'm bursting for a pee. Okay, hold okay, on. Yeah. I'll be right back. Welcome, everyone. This is Tokyo Jazz Joints, episode 30. Episode 30. 30. James, do you remember 30? I really, really don't. And uh, that's alone kind of disturbing. Um, it's funny, you going right into the age thing, man. You know, I realized that one of the places we'll be speaking about tonight opened the year that both of us were born. How does that make you feel? Oh, that makes me think, um, I- I'll be honest, it makes me feel nothing. <laughs> that's not because I'm dead inside. That's because... Wow, let's face it, age ain't nothing but a number, is it, James? Ah, very well done. How you doing, man? It's been a while. I'm okay. Um, I'm in Dublin, as we know, Uh, and uh, again, if you're listening in the very far future, you'll probably know that there was a pandemic in 2020, uh, and currently Dublin is teetering on the edge of a stricter lockdown, which means that uh, we may be confined to our houses again, and of course, one result of that confinement was this beautiful podcast. Uh, who knows what will come out of a second confinement? Well, some good news on this end. Um, thankfully, uh, things are opening up just a tiny bit, and uh, I'll save it for the end of the episode, but I do have a little jazzy news to share with you and all oh, the listeners. So Exciting. Stay tuned exciting. for that. Very exciting. So I know probably our listeners will find it hard to believe when they see our pictures online, um, but we were born in 1974, um, which by my calculations is 46 years ago. Now, I was really pleased at my recent birthday to realize about a week later that I was actually only 46. I thought I was 47, which probably says, uh, probably tells a story in itself. But uh, we're going to start with Scratch today, which I have to be honest i remember very clearly going to um and i remember the slightly sort of i mean it doesn't surprise me to see that it was 1974 because when you look at the interior it's like your step back into 1974 but was it in kichijoji is that where we were yes yes that is correct um, i do remember which them. is you know not really obviously this is part four of our tokyo deep cuts so places that are a little bit off the the beaten path maybe not so famous kichijoji today is a really well-known and popular area in the west side of tokyo mm-hmm. um actually consistently voted the number one destination to buy a home or to live in because it's it's got a great big park it's got a lot of funky places to hang out um but back when scratch was opened in 74 was certainly not like that it was a bit it was very distant from the center of tokyo and and it's probably just a rundown suburb and what's really crazy about scratch i remember the first time that i went there because i couldn't find it it's it's sort of buried between two really gigantic department stores 
And um, when I say buried, I mean like the, the old framework building that it's in is still there up the second floor, up the, the requisite rickety stairs, right? But yeah. um, there's literally no sunlight because these two huge department stores. And, and if you've been to Japan, you know what some of our listeners have not, but many of our listeners have or are in Japan. You know how vast these department stores are. I'm not talking about a Walmart. I'm talking about like a 12-story building with just hundreds and hundreds of shops in them. So Scratch is sort of like weirdly in between these two big ones in Kichijoji. It survived, um, you know, the expansion of the town's area and, and, and all of the streets around the station um, ever since it opened and uh, so it's so it is a little bit tricky to find but it does have that same feeling like you said Philip when you walk in I mean look at the decor look at the unbelievable amplifier uh, my dad had one like that with the you know the shiny blue lights that come out um, and it's it's really really dark there's no sunlight and they keep the lights really low I was surprised you got actually such a bright picture of uh, of, of the main room you're welcome <laughs> um, you know, the thing about Kichijoji, I suppose, is, is it's a bit like if you're listening in Tokyo, I, I always think of it, it's like you if you kind of took Shibuya and merged it with Shimokitazawa, it, 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 you'd get Kichijoji. I think it has that kind of combination of uh, big, big chain stores and department stores and then lots of little funky shops and, and great bars and things like that. And obviously it has that beautiful Inukashira Park, which we mentioned um, when we talked about Tomonokego. Um, uh, many episodes back it seems like now but Scratch I, I remember the one thing that I remember is when we sat over by the window and you can see um, you can see our drinks there on that table I presume that cigarette someone else's um, and uh, when we <coughs> when we uh, when we sat by the window I just remember it was a bit like when you, you have a house that's too close to someone else's because right across the little narrow street there was other restaurants so there was this weird you know, looking back and forward into each other's uh, experience, whatever it was that, we, that they were doing over there. And uh, I, I just remember very distinctly kind of looking across into directly into another restaurant. But it was a beautiful place. I don't remember much about, you know, what they were playing there or anything. And I, I feel like maybe they were closing. Were they closing up? Were we there towards the end of the evening? Or? No, no, no. They were closing up um, coffee time uh, because they, they, they're kind of a popular lunch spot in the area. And I think it was just the kitchen was closing um, at around five. So from the night, you know, I, I guess from around six o'clock, you can only have drinks. Uh, so the, the lady had come by to tell us that, that it was the last order on the food menu. That, that was okay, yeah. But Scratch is actually a pretty popular place to go get lunch um, around uh, that Kichijoji sort of station area, people who are not even into the jazz. Um, the music there is pretty straight ahead. A lot of, you know, 60s blue, 50s and 60s blue note stuff. Um, nothing too, too heavy. Um, but What's really funny uh, about Scratch is that I was told that it was a place that long ago used to have live music. But if you look in, I mean, look at the, the shape that it's in now. That's just literally impossible. I mean, there's nowhere for them. You could barely even walk around those tables to sit down. Yeah. So I don't know where they would have played unless the picture that you took that has the register and the kitchen on the right side, maybe that table uh, booth in the back wasn't there. Mm, you, you could yeah, probably yeah. fit in, a, you know, three musicians, maybe a small drum kit, a keyboard or something, but um, I, well, I can't envision it myself. Although we've seen smaller places have live gigs in Japan, right? So, And if there's anything that, you know, Japanese businesses are good at, it's maximizing space. So <laughs> yes. it doesn't surprise me that they managed to get, uh, to get people in there. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's not much more 
more probably to say about Scratch. It's just one of those places that, with you know a, a wealth of uh, an embarrassment of riches, I suppose, in in other areas of of the jazz kisa culture, it maybe doesn't always make the the mark. Which is why it's really nice to highlight it. You can see from the lady that's serving at the or the lady standing at the register there that obviously not perhaps of the same advanced years that a lot of the owners are, and so we we would hope that somewhere like Scratch will continues uh, going strong for a few years to come. Yeah, I think so. Definitely second or third generation of owner there. And and the fact that, like I said, you know, it was able to survive the construction boom and 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 sort of maintain uh, that spot, even if it is dwarfed by the big buildings. You know, it kind of reminds me in New York, you know, when you walk around Manhattan on the back streets, you'll sometimes see these, you know, the, the gigantic skyscrapers everywhere, obviously. But right in between them will be a tiny little old church or an old shop, um, an old Ukrainian like uh, bakery or something like that that was miraculously able to survive throughout the decades. And Tokyo's really good about that, too, because a lot of places um, that you think would have been wiped clean you know, they've been able to like keep their space for, you know, reasons unknown. Maybe they've got connections or they just got lucky. But Scratch is one of those buildings that, you know, definitely did survive that building boom. Um, as did the next place we're going to go. We're staying in Kichijoji. Philip, do you before remember? We do that, before mm-hmm. we do that, I was just going to say that um, I suppose if you were to look at the Scratch sign there, the, the orange sign and remove the Scratch, you've basically got a... Uh, ready-made inscription for your tombstone. Here lies James Catchpole, Jazz Cafe and Bar since 1974. <laughs> R.I.P. I didn't know where you were going with that. Uh, there, <laughs> I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to break anything to you. I, I haven't heard anything. Just in case no, you're, you're no, in no. case you're worried, you know, well, you know uh, this is not a reveal. This is I, just uh, an observation. I thought you would just go with the sign on the left that said "the kid" in quotation marks because that is a nickname I have been known as in the past. <laughs> yeah. So where are we going next? Okay, we're staying in Kichijoji, and why not? Because it's a great place. One of the um, well, one of the only remaining live jazz spots in Kichijoji. There used to be quite a few more. Um, we spoke about Meg, the great Kisaten that kind of um, closed and reopened in a new format a couple of yeah. weeks ago. Uh, Meg often had a lot of live sessions there, um, DJ sessions and live music, um, but that's kind of now stopped. And there used to be a place called uh, the Akai Kurasu, which is Red Crow, like uh, the mm. bird. The Red Crow Live Bar in Kichijoji, where I went to several different gigs, but they closed about 10 years ago. So um, one of the last remaining spots here for live music in Kichijoji is called Sometime. And you know, on the sign out front, which you captured, it says Piano Hall. And I, I think that that's pretty accurate description of what this place looks like. It doesn't feel like any other Japanese jazz spot we've been to. To me, it's it's almost almost completely Western in feel, in interior decor, um, and just in the shape, the physical space of the room. It's a weird one. I think for me, when you look at the sign outside of that particular image, and obviously by now you probably got the drill that, you know, if you're looking on tokyojazzjoints.com at the photographs as we talk about them, it definitely bring the places to life more, uh, not to do down our, our descriptive skills in any way. But the, the sign, you know, the sign outside, it, it to me, the, the top part of the sign looks like a very 
um, Tokyo style, you know, karaoke type uh, establishment. But then the one below that says Piano Hall sometime has got this really old timey, almost like American feel to it. And, and I suppose the brick, the sort of fake bricks really adds to that. Um, and it seems like a bit of a combination of styles to me. And then obviously you have Subway and, and the Japanese signs next to it. But as you say, when <laughs> I you... Didn't even, I didn't even notice the Subway sign. Yeah. That's great. But as you say, when you go inside, you know, it, it really is a completely unique place. I mean, it, it could be some old, you know bar out west almost you know there's a lot of wood uh, a lot of brown furnishings mm. it's got that unbelievable piano you can see someone sat there you know banging out some ragtime on it and uh, it's a great place you know yeah, i, I really enjoyed like a it speak a speakeasy vibe yeah um you go you go down the steps and it's and it's split level so you've got the musicians sort of in the center of this room and your picture of the of the little clown playing a, a, a double bass or a cello um you can see on on the right that's kind of wrought iron platform where you take some steps up so you can sit up there and look down on the musicians who are playing and there's live music there every day um often in the afternoon as well sometimes just at night but sometimes they'll have two sets they'll have an afternoon session of one group and then coffee time continues and at night you've got the major band so um a very unique spot and i, I could never really get a feel for it though because every time i went there for for one reason or another um the owner was just unavailable and so i don't know the whole story of where did the decor come from um you've got a picture of that great gramophone with what looks like some you know 1920s hollywood starlet in the oval picture frame up on the wall um all of this stuff is vintage none of that's fake you know the kind of stuff that you might see in in some yeah. of the junk shops yeah um you know where did this come from who had all of this because it's definitely real and did it exist before sometime opened? Because I think this this place was only opened in the uh, the late seventies. So that piano and some of the stuff that you see lying around the shop definitely came from another shop mm. that predates yeah. it. Yeah, but uh, even the ta- even the to tables interview. too, I suspect maybe, but. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I, I loved. I just love uh, when I think of this place uh, that. Um, copy of the groovy red garland album uh, always cut springs to mind uh, just sort of scrolled on that wall with the massive clock and yes. the phone and then a cheeky little shamrock slipped in there um back on that photograph you're talking about the little clown statuette just bottom right hand corner there where's, che- where's a cheeky shamrock? little jazz shamrock in the uh, in the background oh, there. right okay i didn't I, with, with the, the person so okay yeah unusually actually for this for places i haven't photographed the bar area and I remember as you came down the stairs the bar area I think was just on your right and then it opens up a, into this quite cavernous place with two floors which again as we've said in in, in other episodes you know is very unusual for jazz joints uh, it's very much one floor and often quite cramped and this place is definitely the exception that, that proves the rule because it, it's an enormous spot yeah, I mean, I, and I think that that reflects also the fact that, you know, Kitchi Josie's a good 20, what, 20, 30 kilometers west of um, Shinjuku, so quite far even from the center of Tokyo. So when it opened, they were able to get that space. If this were a more central location, I think sometime would it be divided into four bars where you walk down the steps to B1 and B2, you know, like a lot of the places we've talked about. You'd have a shot bar, a jazz bar, and whatever else. But here they've been able to take the whole space. And so you can fit in a good 70 five plus people for a live gig which is which is pretty large for a japanese jazz bar because remember it doesn't identify as a club 
You know, it's still called, well, they call it Piano Hall, but it's it's really just a bar. Um, but yeah, it's a really sweet place. I've not been by there in a couple of years. Um, I am going up to Kichijoji in a couple of weeks, though, so I'll try to stop by and maybe even finally talk to the owners if I can. Even more reason to hate you. <laughs> so that's Kichijoji. Um I like Kichijoji. I didn't spend enough time in it, probably. Uh, that's partly because I lived in Shimo, Kitazawa. But uh, yeah, great place to, to, to live, great place to visit. And uh, pretty much everything you want, you know, you could live there quite happily and never go to another station probably in, in Tokyo and, and not really miss much. Um, fabulous place. So let's move on. Uh, where are we off to next? You changed well, the order, so I'm not sure. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned your hometown of uh, Shimokitazawa. Oh, yeah, We're going seamless. there. We're going to Shimokitazawa. We're going to the lovely Lady Jane with one of my, I would say, uh, top five outdoor signs for any jazz joint really um yeah if you look at uh as you mentioned everybody listening should know the drill you should be looking at the pictures while we chat so lady jane um in shimokitazawa in tokyo and look at that awning i mean it's not just the the booze and jazz lady jane it's all the little things that are drawn on there you've got like a glass you've got a dove you've got what looks like a couple of, uh like a trumpet up top uh, yep. a little bit of a piano keys um i mean everything about that entrance is to me is just is just perfect and of course the bikes as well like you know change to the fence there it just makes it even more tokyo yeah i think for me i, I mean yeah, I take your point. It's a, it's a beautiful awning. Um, I don't love the the posters in the window, but it, it is something that we mentioned previously. And and again, just it kind of underscores, particularly when we talked about Massaco last week. It really underscores the idea that um, uh, Shimokitazawa is very much that kind of counterculture hub. And you can see there, there's there's a couple of little cinemas in Shimokitazawa, and obviously I mentioned that it's a kind of an off off Broadway place for theatre as well. And these posters are are um, uh, promoting those different kinds of uh, things. And you can see up the top there as well. I'm not sure what it's for, but that's definitely Moriyama Daido's stray dog picture that they've used for that uh, promotion as well. So I suppose they look slightly incongruous, but then when you know the neighborhood and you're, you're familiar with the context, mm. um, they, they fit right in, I suppose. And uh, again, you know, very much a cultural kind of uh, center in Tokyo is Shimokitazawa. What about inside, though? Very different vibe. Uh, I would say not not so much counterculture, but very uh, kind of dark wood. Uh, the jazz bar of the imagination, I suppose. That's a great way of putting it. Um, it's it's dark. It's sleek. You've got the dark wood everywhere. You've got all of these wonderful portraits on the wall of musicians. Um, obviously, the standard uh, Marilyn Monroe, which you see in almost every. Obviously. bar of any age uh, in Japan. Um, you know, it's funny, Lady Jane, because they open very late as well. I think they open till 3 a.m. And I had always thought that, yeah, this is, this is the kind of place where you end up after, you know, a session somewhere else or a gig or whatever. You, you walk in after midnight. It's pretty quiet. You've got a few drinks on your way home. And what I didn't realize was that that's how it is during the week. But on Saturdays, they have live music in Lady Jane. And not just, uh, you know, not what you'd think. You'd think there'd be some sort of, you know, sultry jazz vocalist in the corner with a, you know, with a piano player or a bass player. But actually, they have a lot of really heavy experimental music. 
Um, I think some of our listeners are going to be familiar with the musician Michio Yagi, who plays the koto, the Japanese traditional string instrument. And she has been performing in a kind of a more experimental free jazz uh, setting for, for many years. And she's a regular at Lady Jane performing with a mixture of local and visiting jazz musicians, playing some very, very heavy stuff. So when I found that out, I mean, that was probably a couple years after I had been uh, to Lady Jane for the first time. I was really shocked. You know, the fact that uh, the fact that Michio Yagi plays there with this whole range of experimental jazz musicians is, is a real dichotomy to the vibe of Lady Jane on a weeknight when you go in and they're playing some sort of soft vocal jazz music. So that was a real surprise. But but then again, in the Japanese context, not so much because a lot of the jazz bars here, we talked about this at length. Some of them are very, very strict in sticking to only one genre, but others will play almost every possible type of jazz. And so Lady Jane is exactly that example. The records might be more straight ahead in late night, but the live gigs they put on are very much on the experimental end of the spectrum. It always felt quite hard to get into. You know, Posey is just down the road on the same street on Chazawadori, and mm. uh, it was always empty you know and we've we've talked about posy in a, in a previous episode but um lady jane they do have a quite a lot of gigs on and it, it's not cheap is it you know you're always looking at like you know 35 40 euros mm. um somewhere in the region of you know three and a half four thousand yen and you know you've really got to be into it if you want to just go in to have a drink and listen to some live music um and i always felt like i didn't go into it as much maybe as i would have done uh had it just felt much more like a pop in for a drink but it just never seemed like the cheapest place to go uh particularly when you have you know other places around that you could go to instead but um that's maybe more a reflection on me than Lady Jane, but uh, I do. I think for no, me, no. But that it's also it's also much. It's it's more of a it's more of a formal place um, than somewhere like Posey. We talked yeah, about exactly. how Posey is is run by the lovely uh, Misa and and her and now her daughter. Um, you know, it, it's that's more of a the old style neighborhood jazz place. Lady Jane is. We don't know who the owner is. It's run by a couple staff members. They're wearing you know string ties and white shirts um they're using cocktail shakers it's a little a little bit more hoity-toity uh when you go in at first so it, it doesn't have the kind of vibe where you feel like you'd be a regular that pops in three times a week to sort of shoot the shit with the regular customers you know yeah I think that's the first time hoity-toity's ever been used on the podcast. Hopefully it'll be the last as well. Surprisingly, it was me and not you. I mean, (laughs) Let's talk about the uh, photograph in the bathroom, the signed picture of Miles in a rather hoity-toity tracksuit. And who is that to his left? That is... Is it Al Foster? Possibly. I actually thought it was Sammy Davis Jr., but... Uh, No, it's... (laughs) Sammy Davis Jr. wasn't going to an Electric Miles gig, man. No, it's you definitely know, you Al know Foster. That? It's definitely Al. Well, if he was, he wasn't getting up on stage. You was know? it what signed was, by what Miles? Was he do? That's Come the and question. sing the Candyman while Miles was playing that. Well, that electric, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, was it, it was an era. It was an era of experimentation. <laughs> what was was is it signed? It, well, it's signed, obviously, but it, was it signed by Miles as well? That's what I can't quite remember. I th- that I can't see because, well, yeah, it probably is Al Foster because the bottom left looks like Al. The right the right ones are M's, but they're not. Oh, wow. That could be Miles Davis, actually. Yeah. It's his what do you mean, me- could be like Miles me, Davis? It is Miles. No, no, no. The signature on the top right, the, the it looks like M-I, and then it looks like N-U, but... It looks like it looks Minu like to me, but... Uh, 
Um, Th that's a fantastic picture, though. Yeah, isn't it amazing? And I think again, you know, it goes back to this idea of that's just hanging in a bathroom in a jazz bar. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I I guarantee, and this is no reflection necessarily on where I'm living, but I guarantee, if that was hanging on a bar in Dublin, it wouldn't last very long, um, because it's it's something of great value. And you know, in Japan, it's just generally speaking, at the risk of generalizing, but this is based on living there for a long time. You know, it's a mm. place where people trust each other, and you know, you can leave valuables sitting around. It's not uncommon to to put your bag or your phone down and, on a table and go and order a drink or or a coffee or something like that. And this is just hanging in the bathroom when you when you wash your hands. And I always think it's just astonishing that uh, not only it's hanging there, but the fact that it's probably been hanging there for for many years and and no one thinks to touch it or do anything to it other than just enjoy enjoy it for what it is it's, it's fabulous i know remarkable i mean if i had that it would be above my my fireplace for sure if i had a fireplace here in japan but you, you know, need I to mean, you would... need to you need to steal a fireplace first and then the picture <laughs> yeah but yeah. we've seen i mean we, we've we've talked many times about our ongoing fascination with the jazz joint bathrooms and how some of them get really really heavy with the decor um you know usually more posters and flyers um, even we talked, remember Big Boy had the sort of CDs arranged in the Ikebana tree, which was very unusual. Um, but to see this one, the signed picture, that's the kind of one you think like, well, if, if this is what you've left in the bathroom, how many more do you have in the rest of the bar that I need to go check out that this was like sort of, you know, on the second class, you know? Um, and again, I don't know whether the owner bought these by auction or they were ones that he got. Uh, from visits to the U.S. I've sent out inquiries about that, uh, but I've not heard back yet. So hopefully we'll get some confirmation. But usually, do you remember, Philip, we talked about Bird in Machida, yeah. a place called Bird, where he had all those signed Art Pepper posters when Art Pepper came to Japan. I remember that guy telling me that, you know, he said that, oh, if you see something signed in Japan, it's going to be the person that, that has it there they got it signed because that's a very japanese thing to have what they call sankai like a, a, a you know to get people's autographs on these yeah. pictures or album covers he said these japanese jazz owners they're not buying stuff on ebay or by auction it, they would have gotten it themselves and i remember him saying that you know right now so this is probably is a photo that he he got himself when he was in the states that's good to know because uh last time i was there i bought a gatefold copy of live cream and it's signed by ginger baker who of course sadly is no longer with us um i'm actually just looking at um some miles uh, miles davis signature online there there seems to be various versions of it but um i i suspect from one the first one that's popped up anyway um that it's the one on the it looks very similar to the one on the as you said down the right hand side I don't know what the Minu is all about, but um, that, cause that does not look like Miles at all, whatever way you blur your eyes. But anyway, the point is that it's uh, a beautiful picture. And again, like you say, probably taken by someone who attended the gig, not some um, picture that was downloaded from the internet or, or given to them by someone else. And again, beautifully signed and, and just casually hanging in the bathroom. Also that gorgeous, I think it's Horace Silver, is it? But that beautiful, that huge picture that hangs above the toilet door, just as you go into the bathroom. Uh, it always reminds me of Lady Jane. Um, I love it. It's gorgeous. Mm. I think it's yeah. Horace Silver. I don't know why I know that, but that is, uh, gosh, man, hold on. You know what? I, can't tell who that is that might be bill evans actually no 
No, no, you're talking you about sure? a different picture to me. I'm talking oh. about... Bill Evans is the one hunched over the piano, of course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the huge picture hanging above the toilet door that you can see like a larger version of if you... Oh, uh, right, okay, in the, in the, in the hat. With a yeah, cap, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, I don't think that that's Horace Silver either. Okay, let's send that out to all of our loyal listeners. Uh, please get in touch with us. Tell us who this is in this picture. I say it is not Horace Silver, but I, I can't quite. He, he looks older. Definitely. There's no reason why older. I would have come to that conclusion other than either you told me or um, I must have read it at the time and it stuck in my mm. head. But anyway... This is top banter, regardless. <laughs> hey, listen, this is what they'll the, this be tuning the in fans, next week for more of this. This, this. this is what the fans are here for, man. Come on. I, don't I mean, know about you that. know, if, if you reached episode 30, you know you're into the very, very extreme minutia of who is hanging above a jazz cafe's toilet. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> okay, where do, we, uh, where do we go to next? We are going back to the center of Tokyo, uh, to Olympus. Do you remember when we went to Jazz Olympus in Ochanamizu? Uh, no, James, I don't remember going to Olympus uh, because we didn't go together. Uh, I went by myself and had quite an interesting experience, shall we say. So Olympus, I think, was a place that we had possibly gone to at least once together and not gotten into. Um, and then when I was back um, on the trip that I've referenced previously, uh, after I'd left Japan, I went one fairly sunny afternoon by the looks of it uh, and turned up once and i think it was closed came back later in the afternoon and got in and i actually sat over by the window uh, and had a very very nice curry and it wasn't necessarily by choice because when i went in um, and i was determined to photograph it because i know it was again one of those places that had been on our list for a long time and i remember thinking oh you know we, we thought oh well, we'll get to that at some point because it's not so far away and we of course never did and uh, i tucked into this curry because the owner had basically told me that i couldn't take any photographs until it was completely clear and i think i was on a fairly tight schedule by that point it may have been even the day or a couple of days before i was leaving to come back to ireland and so um he made me sit there have a curry um you know which is not the worst thing in the world good music playing of course lovely but i remember that there was one customer sitting over in that corner just below the <laughs> bill evans and like nursing a iced coffee like it was a newborn child and he would not <laughs> under any circumstances leave and eventually it must have been a good hour later he eventually left at which point the owner was like okay now you can take some photographs then of course he proceeded to clean up so i, I actually started to photograph the bar area where you can see where the, the amplifiers are and the, and the records above them and then he stopped me and made he had to tidy it all up so it was a very interesting experience because he really had a very uh specific um way that he wanted the bar to look uh and i remember even just sitting over by the window to the right of the speaker system that you can see and, and just photographing a couple of shots because there was a picture i think of miles in between like again sort of altar like and he actually came over and said oh, no wait please don't take any yet and so it, it was kind of apart from the experience in java where i had to show my photographs to the to the two older ladies it's probably the only time that i've had art direction from one of the owners in terms of what to photograph 
Philip, having visited over 150 places with you and spent a lot of time on trains and in cars, um, when you were, how should we say, maybe not in the best of moods, um, I would pay money to have seen your face <laughs> at this time when you had to wait for that guy to finish his cup of coffee <laughs> so you could like, take your pictures. He would take I mean, no hints. I mean... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's only so many times great. you can change a lens on a camera aggressively. Oh, and that's, nope, that's, nothing. That's just anyway. priceless. Um, Olympus, yeah. Um, it, you know, it's funny. I This was the last jazz cafe I went to before the whole COVID-19 uh, insanity hit in March. I was in Ochanamizu, the neighborhood where this is in, because I went to the big disc union there, the disc union jazz and soul uh, shop for my usual birthday purchases. So I bought a couple of records and then I went by Olympus and uh, Komatsu-san, the owner, he remembered me because I had the chance to chat with him years back when I profiled it from my site. So he recognized me and we had a little bit of a talk. Um, but you know, as you captured really well with the pictures, it's very, very sleek, sleek, clean, bright, fairly new, um, but definitely a, a listener's uh, a listener's paradise. Um, I'm gonna quote real quick from, from his website, which he has in English. Um, he says, Jazz Olympus has a collection of about 3,000 analog records, mostly focusing from the 50s to 60s. Groovy JBL speakers named Olympus, also from the 1960s, bring fabulous sound. Mm. Jazz Olympus is named after the groovy speaker, um, which is great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's very much, you know, he makes it really clear. Jazz listening time is 2 to 4 p.m. So when you go at 2 o'clock for the afternoon, you order your coffee, uh, don't be having a loud conversation conversation and then the drinks time at night from seven to ten o'clock um but yeah it's a, it's a really really great spot and and what's really fun is that it, it is very different it's modern um you know as i mentioned it is very sleek looking but yet it still has that kind of you know he's got the the bill evans record up on the wall he's as you mentioned the kind of shrine like speakers with miles in between although i don't know what exactly is that painting in the middle is that a, is that a picasso I can't. Um, I think it is. Isn't that one of Picasso's like musicians? He had the three musicians painting, and that's another one. Yeah, well, it it's like certainly it. it's certainly somebody cubist, um, but it may well be. We could again any any art fans out there. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure that My Miles is perched on top of a gramophone as well. That's an old wooden open top gramophone. Um, I bought one of those just before I left Japan, and uh, it's definitely that. It was a gorgeous place, and actually, as soon as that customer had left, he really cranked it um, really loud, and it was beautiful. I mean, just wandering around there in that empty place, um, really sleek, really clean, and, you know, just having your ears blasted. It was it was a fantastic, uh, and, and definitely worth the wait. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, we, we talked before about the magazines here, you, you know, on a lot of episodes, you know, the kind of audio magazines that they have in Japan focusing on uh, on this or that or like JBL. Well, he, he's been featured in a couple of those. I was looking online earlier today and he's been in a couple of these magazines online because of his audio system. Um, so, you know, clearly it's like it's like a labor of love. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would say that, you know, it's funny because the, the, the street is particularly particularly plain that it's on in Ochanamizu, which is a fairly central neighborhood. 
So it's easy to miss, uh, but definitely worth stopping by because if you go to, to, to the Ochanamizu station area, you'll find not only Disc Union, which I mentioned, but a lot of, um, if you play any instruments, that's where all the, the instrument shops tend to be, you know, sort of um, on that one, one long drag next to the university. And then you can, you can pop into Olympus. Um, Philip, an Easter egg, though. Did you have a look at the Olympus website when you were preparing the pictures? I did not. Okay, because I will spring this on you. So if you go to jazz-olympus.com, you'll see a, a kind of a picture and a banner. It says, good time, good music, Jazz Olympus. And underneath it, it says in quotation marks, Swifty designed the logo type. So who is our friend Swifty? Well, I think we all know by now. He's been immortalized uh, more than once. Uh, but of course, the owner of Basie, yeah. And uh, once again, it, his hand is in everything, really, isn't it? He really is the the glue that holds it all together. Clearly. Well, I was I was interested in this, and and um, next time I go by, uh, I'll ask Komatsu-san about it. You, um, you know, explained on our Basie episode how uh, Swifty Sugihara is also a photographer. Um, but it seems from what's written here, so it says Swifty designed the logo type. So is he also a graphic designer? How long has he been doing that? I mean, very, very interesting. Is that one of the jobs he did for money, which financed the cafe? It sort of opened up a whole bunch more questions, you know, because I've never seen this um, anywhere else, you know? I like mean, not, to knock, not to knock Swifty's design style, but I suspect that he wrote Jazz Olympus. Mm-hmm. And then they just took that and turned it into the logo rather than how much design has necessarily gone into that. I'm not 100% sure. But, and of course, when we came into Basie, he was sitting writing. Uh, and so I, I suspect at some point they maybe had a conversation. Maybe he told them mm. the name. He scribbled out on a bit of paper. And I'll be honest, if Swifty scribbled something on a bit of paper for me, I'd take it and do something with it. It's a bit like, it's a bit like touching the, the, the hem of a garment of, of a god, isn't it, really? No? Oh, dear. God, sorry. Oh, no. This is a sorry. first choking on the podcast. Yeah, I went down the wrong way. I was, I was laughing while having a sip of beer. Um, no, I was thinking of that old, old Saturday Night Live sketch where uh, Picasso just scribbled his name on napkins and started selling them for thousands of dollars. But That's, that could be anyway. the inspiration. Who knows? Yeah, you get it. You vice get versa or vice versa. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah but Olympus it, is a great place. Great place. And uh, I'm glad I made it in. Um, it was more um, rule-based than we're used to, um, mm. you know, and not the easiest place to necessarily get into because there are sort of quite complicated timings. But uh, like you say, gorgeous place. And uh, yeah, um, another one for the project. Uh, fabulous. So let's um, wrap things up today with this final, probably, Tokyo Deep Cuts, uh, which I think is the fourth in the series that we've done. Uh, and we're going to finish with, um, I suppose... A place that, we're, if we want to talk about nicknames, you know, this has been uttered once or twice by you um, in relation to my intellectual abilities and um, photographic skills. Genius, um, which we've come across a few times, haven't we, in um, talking about the matchbooks and, and looking at the business cards that we've seen in other places. We've quite often come across genius. Is it quite an old place? 
Genius, um, and 40 minutes in, I'll ignore the banter uh, baiting that you just did there. Um, genius, yes, it is, well, the current location, not too old, baiting. but 30, 30 years ago, okay. um, opened in, in, in this location, 1989, but Genius goes way back. Um, the original shop was opened 50 years ago, 1970, and the location, for those of you who know Tokyo, will be interesting, it was Dogenzaka, Dogenzaka Street in Shibuya, which is... Mm. I mean, pretty as central as you can get in Shibuya. Yeah. Um, back then, obviously, a very, very different version of Shibuya as to what you see today. Um, but at that time, there were jazz kisaten all around Shibuya Station. Um, I've been told that there were about 13 of them within 10 minutes walking distance of any direction from Shibuya Station back in the, in the 1970s. They're almost all gone now. Um, the owner, Suzuki-san, moved the shop in 1989. Um, we've mentioned before the bubble years in Japan when the economy went crazy. So the rent would have gone really way, way, way up. Um, so he had to leave and he moved uh, to a neighborhood called Nakano Shinbashi, which is a couple stations from Shinjuku, but quite a quiet station. There's really not a much around there. So he's been at that location for 30 years now. So yeah, overall, the, the genealogy of the shop is old, 50 years. And um, I think one reason that Genius is a place that's always mentioned, um, I mean, I've been hearing about Genius for years when I started telling people about my own website and that it was my hobby to go to Jazz Kisaten. And people would always say, okay, you got to go to Basie, which we've talked about. But they would also often say, oh, have you been to Genius and met Suzuki-san yet? And I said, no, Genius, where the hell is that, you know? Um, Genius has 8,000 records in the shop, which is pretty close to the most that we've seen except for one other place uh which we will get to on a further episode Eight thousand records in one cafe that's a lot of records but the amazing thing is that that's only part of his collection now i think suzuki-san's collection has been so um it's become so legendary that who knows exactly how many he has but i've had three different people tell me that he has thirty thousand jazz records it's not uh, bad is it in the cafe and in his house that's a lot of records man wow. uh, so one of the biggest collections in the country no doubt um but yeah you mentioned the matchbooks i mean I think at the, in my notes uh, that I looked in for today's show, Philip, I, I found the genius matchbooks. We've, I've seen them or seen pictures of them in, in about 14 different um, places. Um, so it's that it has that kind of like reputation in the jazz kisaten world. It's such a weird place. I mean, first of all, you can see if you look at the picture of the Art Blakey album, um, and the more eagle-eyed people uh, listening will have spotted Suzuki-san just lurking behind that pile of books. Um, so there he is. But I, I, it's such a weird place inside because it's made entirely from concrete, mm. uh, which is never the most. Um, welcoming or or sort of cozy kind of vibe and then beautifully fitted out with these wooden window frames and um, record shelves and i think if i'm not mistaken james that the speakers are kind of built into the wall that is correct so if you look uh, if you're looking at the photographs again that picture of the table there with the pile of books again on it 
um, and a sort of a, a fake uh, bouquet of flowers. Uh, what looks to all intents and purposes like the windows or, or blackout windows behind, I think, are actually the speaker grills, aren't they? <laughs> yes, yes. So you can just imagine like the power of, the, of that sound system coming out. And I think, again, you know, it's it's got this really, you can feel a little bit that it's somewhere that's moved because there's something about the bar area that has much more of an older uh, jazz kisa feel. You've got the old... Uh, coffee bean grinder there you've got the cups and and saucers and then you have these pictures which we've come across in in many places it reminds me a little bit of downbeat in yokohama but these old photographs that at one point were probably black and white and over the years from aging and cigarette mm. smoke have taken on this beautiful kind of sepia mm -hmm. tint and they're just uh, mounted on these boards and uh, the one on the right definitely is, is signed by Oscar Peterson clearly the one on the left I'm not 100% sure it, it, it's got a signature is it Philly Joe Jones? I you know I I can't quite make that out although that doesn't it doesn't look like Philly Joe Jones, if I remember what he looked like correctly. But uh, yeah, I can't. I it's can't quite a tell. long uh, I do, signature. I isn't do it? remember him saying that um, that he was at these gigs. Yeah, that he knew the guy taking pictures. So so, so these are pictures from Japan. Yeah, know? amazing. And that they are they are authentic. But yeah, you, you're right. It's it's got this weird mixture of like this sort of you know brutalist concrete mm -hmm. you know square room, and yet these very old obviously like authentic things like the pictures you've got the the jars with the snacks the half open pack of marlboros on top of a stack of jazz magazines on the counter um and and you've also got these weird like sort of hidden space i think you've captured one of them this little like a hall around the side where you've just got two seats yeah this little and sort of tunnel like uh side room which is really interesting and, and really and unusual. And all those great Jazz Hijo magazine editions. Yeah. Um, Jazz Hijo, uh, these are the ones for our readers who can't, uh, our listeners who can't read Japanese. These, these are the magazines uh, with the edition number in red numerals on it. Uh, and that's called the Jazz Hijo. It's a very long running magazine here in Japan. And he's just got uh, pretty much, you know, 30 years worth of them in the place so you can browse through them. And I was really happy that you got a picture of his of the turntable, you know, uh, because you know the one in the foreground. And I, I'm not again, I'm not an audiophile, but this looks like a really, really old turntable to me. So this is certainly one that he's been using for at least since the the cafe was in its previous location. Yeah, this this photograph's been exhibited a fair few times. It was certainly um, in the Moonglow project in London uh, a couple of years ago, and I think you know, in in some ways, it just sums up uh, the project in one image. Yeah. Quite often, um, I, I, even though I took it myself, I, I, it's probably okay to say that I love this photo, and that's not something <laughs> I say often about any of my photographs. So why not? I think also, you know, one thing just for design fans too. If you look at the again, back to the picture with Art Blakey and. It's not only that it's this brutalist sort of concrete uh, interior, but it's also got this incredible modeling of this curved and, and right angle uh, edges, uh, which again, it's just, it's just the whole place is a really very unusual, uh, very um, unique space. And yet, once again, uh, as you can see from the exterior shots, uh, just in the middle of, of what is otherwise a completely uh, residential neighborhood. Yeah, it's a good it's a good seven eight minutes walk from what's already a tiny station mm. 
about 15 minutes west of Shinjuku. So we're talking, you know, a real, uh, it's not suburban, we're still in Tokyo, but definitely a residential part of town. Um, And yet now he's been there for 30 plus years. And I do remember when I was there, um, there were four other customers and uh, two were together, but the other two were sitting separately. But they all addressed him and talked to him as if they knew him. And he was speaking back to all these different groups. So it was clearly a place that regulars go to who are not even from the neighborhood. He's got his loyal customers who have been going there for decades. And hopefully it's still running. I know his wife was there uh, when I visited the last time. But this would have been at least five, six years ago. Um, I'm going to have to make sure I make a a return visit soon to to see who's going to take it over. Because I know Suzuki-san is getting a bit older Um, but I mean that that record collection, that sound system is is too special <laughs> for for the place to close. You yeah. Know? Um, and um, yeah, genius. It's just one of those places that uh, you, you know. Again, been hearing about for years and years and years. The first time I went there, I was just so excited and so happy. And um, you know, we're lucky to still have these places. So James, that's Tokyo Deep Cuts episode four and overall episode 30 it's hard to believe that we started back in april and what initially was just uh a, an attempt at a podcast i suppose to uh mark the fifth anniversary of beginning the project all those years ago and uh mm. not only that we we passed forty thousand listeners this week which again is just um very humbling and and thank you to all the people uh, that have supported the podcast with your comments, with your likes, with your shares, and with your listens. Um, thanks also to Brian um, of Grooves Ahead, who has uh, been very patient with me in particular and uh, has been really, <laughs> really helpful when it comes to uh, mixing the audio down. Uh, he does it every week for us, free of charge, and he sends me back a file to edit. Uh, and uh, thanks also to Louis Elastic uh, for providing our theme music uh, and uh, yeah, just um, we're, we're kind of getting tantalizingly close to uh, this seven days in June trip uh, that we did uh, from the wild northern uh, island of Hokkaido right down to the subtropical uh, island of Kyushu. And uh, I can't wait to get started on recording these. We, we think it's going to be about a seven parter and we're going to take you through uh through our journey as we experienced it obviously without the minor irritations that both of us felt at each other but apart from that do you you mean your road rage while driving is that what you're referring to right (laughs) i need to go let's wrap this up (laughs) see you next week buddy (laughs) take it easy man good to talk to you and i'll talk to you next week for episode 31 ciao bye Thank you.